You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to read, be in verses 1 through 18. And this is called the prologue. So basically think of it as an introduction. These are written, these verses are purposely written as an introduction by the, the Apostle John to sort of begin to explain or introduce all the different themes and things that we will see coming in the rest of the 21 chapters of the Gospel of John. So there's a lot crammed into these 18 verses. We won't be able to deep dive into each and every one of them, but we will as we get going throughout each chapter. Okay, so follow along with me as I read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You as little creatures. Lord, as we read a passage like this, we read a verse like this, we begin to be reminded of just who we are, and, but, but even more so who you are, that we are so small and little 
and finite, but yet when we, our eyes are turned to you, Lord, we, we are reminded that you are incredibly big, marvelously wonderful. Oh, Lord, intensely powerful and determined. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. Lord, we pray through these moments, Lord, of the preaching of your word, as we are introduced to the gospel of John, Lord, we pray that you would receive much glory, that our eyes and our hearts would be turned to you to look upon you as in ways in which you have revealed yourself in the person and work of Christ. Oh, Lord, I confess there are so many times throughout my days that I don't think highly enough of you. Lord, may it not be so for us. Deepen our understanding of you. Deepen our knowledge of you, but not just a knowledge, a head knowledge to walk away and say, okay. No, deepen our knowing of you, Lord. Intimate knowing that we would be amazed at you, we would be awestruck, that we would behold you afresh, and that built into our hearts, Lord, would grow wonderful views of you in glory and splendor and majesty. And the result of that would be joy. Joy and love for you. Be exalted, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, amen. Amen. Not long ago, I was uh, with my family. We were at home, uh, just sort of doing our own thing, all kind of scattered about in the house. And all of a sudden, I heard one of my daughters yell out with excitement, Daddy, come and see this. And you can, if you know my daughters, you can hear their little voices yelling something like that, can't you? Daddy! Come and see this. Now, as a dad, my first response to those words, the first response, or the, the, the first words that came to mind for me in response to their words was not, oh boy. <laughs> but the first response was, oh boy. What fun am I about to witness all over the floor or the wall or even the ceiling if you walk into our house right now, today, and looked up on the ceiling in our living room, there would be fun there. There's some fun that we would just call it fun that I need to paint over still. Uh, so what's waiting for me? And then I hear their little passionate call once again. Daddy, you've got to come see this. Hurry, Daddy. Hurry. You're not going to believe it. Come and see this. So at this point, I go upstairs, and my daughter, she begins to show me this tower that she's, she's built out of what's called magna tiles, the best creation for parenting, magna tiles. There are these tiles that are different rainbow-esque type colors. And so the light, as the light from our windows is hitting this, this three-foot-tall tower that she's built in the middle of their room, and, and the light's hitting it, and it's it's, it's shining beautifully and, and with joy just upon her face and through her words, she just bids me, come and look at this. 
come and look at this, Daddy. And as I walk up and begin to look at this three-foot-tall tower, she starts to show me all the different details of it. Look, look what I did here. Look, this is the door here. Look at this side, though. This is where they jump off the tower into the pool or something. You know, all sorts of things, all these different aspects. She wants me to see every little angle, all the different intricacies, all the details of this beautiful, all-inspiring tower that she has. And since that day, it's been so sweet. I've, been, I've just paid more attention to them. And I've heard both my girls use that phrase often. Come and see this. Mommy, Daddy, Sissy, come and see this over and over again, wanting us to partake and share in that which strikes them as marvelous and amazing. Come and see this. That is the heart of the Gospel of John. But it's no three-foot-tall tower. It's the marvelous, glorious Jesus. Come and See this, John, an apostle of Jesus, was with him. John was with Jesus, saw him with his own eyes, heard his voice with his very ears, smelled him. Can you imagine? Oh, that to, for that day to come. Touched him, was touched by him, learned from him, sat with him, ate with him, walked alongside him. And it is that John who's written this gospel almost as a joyful, awestruck invitation to come and see this marvelous one who is more glorious, more mighty, more beautiful, more powerful, more majestic. Anything, I can't even come up with more words. Whatever you put in the sentence, than anything we have ever heard or seen in this world. Come and see this Jesus. This gospel is an invitation to come and see Him, to behold Him and marvel and to share in the joy of knowing Him. In fact, John states his intentions at the end of John. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, he says this, and it should be up on the screen. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. John wants us to come and see Jesus for who he truly is. And so throughout the gospel, he's showing Jesus in all these different angles and incredible details like a diamond being turned over. And once you marvel at that part of the diamond, he just turns it again and says, now look again. Look again. Look upon him once more. Beautiful. He just is calling us to look and behold Him and believe in Him so that we could know Him and not just believe and know about Him, but to believe in such a way and to know Him in such a way that truly knows Him with, with knowledge that's intertwined with our hearts and minds and affections that we would believe in Him 
and have what John will call life in him. That's the call of the Gospel of John. We often think of the book of John as only being evangelistic. Have you ever heard that? Like, man, oh, the Gospel of John is just only evangelistic. We hear that, and, and I've heard lots of people recommend the reading of the Gospel of John, and I think this is not bad. This is, this is fine. But they have recommended the Gospel of John to unbelievers who are interested in learning about Jesus, which is a gracious act of God in and of itself, that they would even be willing to learn about Jesus. But they would recommend the Gospel of John because we often think of it as solely evangelistic. And so, but what I've heard the danger of for Christians is this. Because we can think of, well, it's just solely an evangelistic book, I am over here already a Christian, I already love Christ, I already know Christ, and so I'll go read the other books. If we're not careful, that's what we can do, and I've heard some people lean towards that, but that's not the sole intention of John. Though there are absolutely evangelistic themes, and the gospel in and of itself is evangelistic, it's not merely solely evangelistic. In fact, it's believed that by the time John wrote his gospel, it was towards the later part of his life, between the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 and A.D. 100. And so it's believed that the first readers of the gospel of John were these second and third generation Jews and Gentiles after Jesus. Second and third generation Jews and Gentiles, some needing to hear of Christ for the very first time, and others, young followers of Christ, not just in age, but maturity, young followers of Christ who hadn't seen Him with their own eyes, and they didn't live through the commotion of the days Christ walked the earth. And so there was a need for the next generation and generation after generation after them to look upon Christ from someone who had done it himself. Come and see, come look upon Christ and behold his marvelous work, that it would bolster their faith. It's easy to forget simply just several years down the road. I, Danielle and I were talking about this, right? We, you can look at big monumental things that happened in our lives. I think, I think COVID, this whole pandemic sickness stuff is going to be one of those things like, wow, yeah, for, for like months this thing hit and, and it, I, I saw people wear masks for the first time. I had never seen that before. Now that's a common thing and it, it was just this changing of life. But years down the road, people are going to say, what, what are you talking about? What, what, tell me about it. What happened there? One of those wild things is, is 9-11. When you have lived through that, I can remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember exactly what had happened that morning when I first heard. I remember it. And then Danielle becomes a teacher. She's a school teacher. Brings up 9-11 and there's kids who are, what, what, is, what is that? What, what, what happened? Tell me about that. Do you see how fast, from one generation to the next, monumental things can be sort of, sort of just dusted off. John wants to make sure that the gospel of Christ, seeing Jesus for who he is in his glory and splendor, isn't something that just goes away. Oh, man. You've probably heard us as pastors say this line. The gospel that saves us is the same gospel 
that sustains us. So as, as we're being transformed and sanctified, it's the gospel that we continue to look to and grow in greater depths of knowing. And to look to the gospel in greater depths of knowing is to look to Jesus. To be a gospel-centered church, you've heard that. That didn't used to be the thing that was always said. Let's just put that out there. It's said by almost every church now. Oh, we're gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. And I don't even... Sometimes you walk in and say, well, what what do you mean by that? To be gospel-centered is to be Jesus-centered. It's to say we see Christ as the pinnacle of God's saving work in all of creation. And we don't move on from Christ. We keep looking upon Him because in Him, not just do we come to saving faith, but in Him my whole life is sustained. I grow in Him when I look to Him. Oh, we sang about it. We confessed it. When I'm weary, I find strength in Him. When I have no hope, I find hope in Him. The Christian doesn't just find salvation in Christ. We find sustainment and life in Christ. And so we continue to look upon Him. We continue to do it over and over again of who He is and what He's done. And so the truth is, that whether you are an unbeliever who is willing to learn about Jesus, maybe even in this room, or maybe someone you know, or a new believer, a young believer, just beginning to know Jesus, or you've been a believer in this room for 40 years and counting, we are all invited by John to come to the Gospel of John and gaze upon Jesus over and over again to know who He truly is and in knowing Him to have His life, to have true life, in Him, filled with the hope of eternal life and life today in Christ. That's why we need the Gospel of John. So as we come and see Jesus in the Gospel of John, may the Lord give all of us, each of us, life in Christ. Whether you have already been a member of His church for years Or maybe you experienced life for the first time. May he pour out his life upon us. So don't think, I'm just going to kick back and maybe, you know, well, I can just kind of check out because this is just evangelistic. No, there is much sustainment to be found as you look to Jesus over and over again. And so may we be filled with an eagerness and a joy and an excitement, a readiness to come to Jesus over and over again and just say, Lord, I just want to see you for who you are grow me in greater depths of knowing you, that I would grow in greater depths of loving you, that I would learn to depend upon you in even greater ways as I see your faithfulness over and over again in Jesus. Amen? May that be so for us. So with the the time we have left, let's move through these first 18 verses. And these verses, as I said earlier, they're sort of this introduction of themes that we will be revisiting upon throughout the rest of this gospel. And so we won't go into great, great depths today, but we will in the coming weeks be entering into greater depths. And so we are going to unpack this, but uh, just know even the first five verses could be a sermon series in and of itself. So Lord, help us be self-controlled. Help us move through these 18 verses. All right. 
John begins his gospel by inviting us to come and see, first, the word and work of Jesus in verses 1 through 9. The word and work of Jesus, where the gospel of Matthew begins by tracing the earthly genealogy of Jesus to reveal Jesus is from the family line of King David. And the gospel of Luke begins by revealing the divine involvement of God um, in the lives of earthly people to bring about the births of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And Mark begins with a display of the Spirit upon Jesus, revealing Him as the anointed one of God. The gospel of John In order to reveal who Jesus is, he goes all the way back. All the way back, as far as you can possibly go. Back to the very beginning, since before life as we know it existed. In fact, when you read the first verses of John, you see a purposeful connection to the very beginning of our Bibles. A purposeful connection to the very beginning of our Bibles, which also declares the beginning from the beginning. So look at this on the screen that we put up John or Genesis 1 and John 1. Listen to this from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then the Gospel of John begins. And listen, it's almost as if he wants to expound on that moment where, and God said, let me expound on that. He says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. At the end of these 18 verses of this introduction, John reveals that the Word he's talking about is the pre incarnate Jesus. Jesus' life didn't merely begin as a little baby born in a little town in the middle of nowhere. Before Jesus came to dwell among us, He was known as the very Word of God, with God, and was God. These verses are some of the most revealing verses for where we begin to understand God as a triune God. One God, yet three distinct Persons. And it's important for us to know these true saints because there are people that you will meet in our city who don't believe this. One God, yet three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Equal in importance. Existing in eternity. Perfect. And that just blows me away. Existing in eternity? When I was four years old, I remember sitting on our steps in our front yard. It was nighttime. It was a summer night in West Texas, the best. And I'm sitting on the steps, and I'm looking at the sky, and you could see all the stars. And I remember almost just as a little four-year-old, almost just perplexed and saying, I, I began to cry because I said, 
this God, how does he, how does he live? And is he out there? And how, since before that was created, and, and that was created, and this was created. And I remember just starting to cry as a little kid. And my dad comes out. We, were, we weren't believers. I had heard the gospel, or I'd heard some of those truths, because of my mom at one point had started to share some of those little truths, and it perplexed me. My dad was definitely not a Christian. He comes out and meets me, and he says, Son, why are you, why are you crying? Why are you crying? You're sitting out here in the country on stairs looking at the sky. What are you crying about? And I tried to explain to him. I was so perplexed about this God who is eternal and big and creator and all this he said, oh, son, go inside. I'll give you some quarters. It'll be okay. <laughs> that was his response. Let me take your mind off of this eternal God. And let me give you some quarters. It'll be okay. And I went inside and got some quarters and went on with my day. But these truths were perplexing to me. And, and, and to us, maybe even, even today, this eternal God, perfect in fellowship with one another, yet distinctly different. It's beautiful. Their unity and fellowship is beautiful. perfectly one, yet distinctly different. And John is saying, this Jesus, this Jesus, before taking on human flesh, He's not merely just some guy. This, this one who you're knowing about, who you've heard about, who you've heard all these things about what He's done, this one, He was the very Word of God, eternal and working in perfect harmony and unity with God the Father and God the Spirit from the very beginning. That which in Genesis 1 verse 3 declares, and God said, and there was. That was Him. The Word of God at work, and in some ways we could say, in some ways we almost could get bored with that. Okay, I understand. Let's move on now. But when you really begin to ponder these truths of who Jesus really is, being the eternal Word of God, it is otherworldly incredibly big and incredibly important. The Word of God is the expressive, divine communication of God. The Word of God is the expressive, divine communication of God. The way in which God reveals Himself in who God is and what He's like and what He wills or desires. And through the Word, in union with the Spirit, He accomplishes what He desires and wills. When His Word goes forth, it does so in unmatched power and authority. To say, let there be light, and it is. Let the storms rise and fall and they obey Him. Give life. And they breathe. And he says, enough. And they stop breathing. All at the command of his word. And, and yet it's the word of God over and over again in the scriptures that reveal God's heart of compassionate care and kindness. It's the same word that says, let there be light. And then whispers, Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you running away, Elijah? 
the same voice, the same word, displaying his compassionate care, his kindness, his undeserved goodness, his patience, his long-suffering towards towards his people. The word of God is how he accomplishes his will and how he makes himself known to us. Samuel, in the middle of the night, by himself, and yet God calls to him, Samuel, Samuel. Who Who is that? It's how he makes himself known. He begins to reveal himself to us. The divine communication and expression of God himself since eternity past. Creating, revealing, displaying who God is and what he is able to do and what he wants to do. And so when we see Jesus living and breathing in the gospel of John, And we observe his character. We observe how he treats people and how he responds to circumstances and to things. And and we hear him speak. And we hear him say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And when we see him drive people out of the temple for their false treating of God's holy places, this passion within him, When we see Jesus interact with people and do work, it is the very display of the divine expression of the God of the universe himself. May that begin to amaze us. I know I've been been thinking about this and praying about this all week, so I'm coming in, flames already set afire. Oh, Oh, Lord, may you just grow within us greater depths of saying, wow, wow. We're going to see in the Gospel of John that it is it is the beautiful display of God in the person and work of Jesus. John goes on in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What wonderful words. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus, the word of God and the life source of all creation, nothing made or in existence apart from him, including in this room, No person, no thing has life apart from him. And we're going to see in the Gospel of John that this is true both physically and spiritually. We'll see that where Jesus goes in the Gospel of John, life goes. Scene after scene, story after story, where Jesus goes, life pierces a world dead in sin. Where where he walks True life begins to bloom in the desert wilderness of the world. And we'll see that there is no true life apart from Him. But in Him, there is a fullness of life. So the invitation is to look nowhere else for life. 
He is the very source of life. Since before life as we know it began, it was in Him. So look nowhere else. John will show us people who were looking in so many other places for life. Juan, brother, you, you, you prayed that even earlier. Lord, Lord, we look so many other places. We try to find peace and fulfillment in all these other things, but Jesus is the very source of life. And John will bid us come and look to Him for life over and over again. Look to Jesus. And that life is as a light in a sin-darkened world, shining upon everyone through Jesus. Two functions of that light as it shines upon everyone, because we know not everyone sees that light and says, oh, I love that light. So there's, a fu- there's some functioning here. The light that shines on everyone, the light of Jesus, two, two ways. First, it's illuminating. It's this light that is illuminating where where people were once blinded by the darkness of sin and Satan. It's as if the light in the room of their world, of their life that was darkened is now turned on and they can see rightly and they love the light and they're grateful for the light and they live in the presence of the light and they draw near to the light. The light illuminates, gives life. For others, the light is horrifically exposing. Horrifically exposing. Revealing their darkened hearts and minds. Revealing their sin-ruled passions. Exposing them in their sinful state. In this case, it's as if the light in the darkened room of their lives is all of a sudden turned on, but they, they despise the light. Think of it... <laughs> When I used to get up, when I was little, and I would you know, think of little middle school, high school, and my mom would come and turn on my light at 6 o'clock in the morning. And, oh, oh, what that light? Turn it off. In a far more serious way, this light is horrifically exposing, and they, they, have, they despise the light. It's exposing them. They can't comprehend the light. It's disorienting. And it's confusing to them. And so they hate the presence of the light. And they become angry at the light. They will do anything to flee being exposed by the light of Christ, even to the point of trying to kill the light. That's what we will see in the Gospel of John. Light and darkness. But the hope, the hope of John, he says, oh, but take heart. The darkness has not and will not and cannot overcome this light. Oh, my. I was sitting with some of our young men this week at a coffee shop just talking about the Lord and wanting to grow in the Lord. And, and that came up, that, that point of conversation, when we feel overtaken as if, as if the darkness still does overtake us. But take heart, we reminded ourselves. Take heart that the darkness has not overcome the light. Keep looking to Jesus. These truths are true both for coming to Christ, but oh, for the Christian over and over and over again. We don't move on from them. So in the Gospel of John, we will see some who will draw near to the light of Christ. They will become witnesses of the light. 
like the Apostle John and John the Baptist, they will be as a reflection of the light. They will take this humble posture and say, oh, I love the light and I want others to know the light. And so I'm just going to reflect the light of Christ. John will almost beckon us, come and do the same. Come and know. It's funny, when you read that, going into this whole section, when you read that, how does, how does verse 6 begin? Verses 1 through 5, he's been talking about Jesus. How amazing, how wonderful, the Word, pre-incarnate, eternal. And then, there was a man sent from God. He almost draws our attention. We are but these little people, these little creatures. But yet God has come to us. And so we receive the light. And now we are but humble reflections of the great true light. We're going to see that next week. We're going to see it often throughout the Gospel of John. And then we see that there will be many who will be disoriented and exposed by the light of Christ. And by those who reflect the light that's disorienting to them, they go like this, they push away. They want nothing to do with the light. And that's what verses 10 through 13 is expounding upon and preparing us to see in the Gospel of John. That's our second point. The rejecting and receiving of Jesus. Verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Hear, hear how heartbreaking this is, precious saints. Be reminded of the great fall. Be reminded of how heartbreaking sin actually is. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Do you see how, I'm going to use a word, do you see how stupid and foolish sinfulness is? I don't use that word all the time, right? But you see how foolish that is. Charles Spurgeon said this of this verse, and I think it is so fitting. This is a sad verse. He was a stranger in his own house. He was unknown amidst his own handiwork. Men whom he had made, made nothing of him. This is a sad verse, isn't it? That's what's so heartbreaking about the destruction of sin. The broken image of sin, right? Created to bring Him glory. Created that we would praise Him. And sin enters and, and shatters the mirror. And we're these broken images. We create things, but we create them for our own glory now. We have passions and pleasures, but it's self-seeking. This one who made us, who is glorious and beautiful and amazing and marvelous. Yet we say, no. Over and over again, we will see in the Gospel of John the heartbreak reality and foolishness of a people, both Jew and Gentile, who have so graciously had one in whom breathes creation life into them, and they eat of his provision from his hand. How else do they have food? How do people get provision? Because a kind God is caring for his creation. They may reject him, but yet he still provides for them. 
And the longer that keeps going, just storing up more and more wrath for themselves. How wrong it is. How devastating that is. They take His his provision, they partake of His common grace and yet reject Him. It echoes of Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 reverberates through the Gospel of John. Here's what it says. should be up on the screen. The words of the Lord. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, this is the Lord. I said, here I am. Here I am. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. What a heartbreaking reality of the foolishness of sin. But not all reject him, do they? Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It is a right. Think, ponder that for a second. It's not something we're owed. It's not something I suddenly deserve. It is a right that is granted. And how? How do, how do people, how do we, how do they come to receive and truly believe and, and, and be given the privilege and joy and position to become children of God? Well, verse 13 we were who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. Yes, they are born of God. It wasn't their good works. It wasn't their family upbringing, their own wisdom. No, the same one who was creating and bringing life to new creation from the darkness of the world in the very beginning of time is bringing spiritual life to spiritually dead people, making new creations of people from the darkness of the world. I love 2 Corinthians 4, 6. I have said it so many times among us, but I'm going to say it again. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. The one who said that at the beginning of creation has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of who? Jesus Christ. How do you... How does the void, the darkened void, did you think of that Genesis 1 being a picture of the darkened hearts of of humanity? The void, dark, nothingness. How can we possibly come to the Lord when there's darkness and nothingness there? He must speak, let there be light. And it's explosive and powerful. And it overcomes the darkness, doesn't it? Think, think about, think about, if you're a believer in this room, think about, for some of us, I know it maybe wasn't just a one single moment. 
But that's what the Lord did if you believe. It wasn't just, well, just over time, I just decided he was good. How did you decide he was good? How did you come to decide that? Because he said, let light shine in darkness. Oh, I love it. May we never forget that. May that be... May that be the very life within our hearts, precious saints. Would, would, just, I, put, that on, put that on the wall type thing. Don't ever move on from that. I believe, and how do I believe? Because, because the creator, the very word of God, who created all of this, who created the solar systems and put them in their place and said, be, and it was. He has shown the light of life within my heart. He can do it at any moment. Whenever he pleases, no matter how far gone, no matter, I think of Paul in the Bible, right, in the scriptures, who's murdering Christians, who's cap- capturing them and sending them away to prison and on his way to do more of that. Light flows, throws him off his horse onto his back, blinded and heart changed. Don't lose heart, precious ones. There are those in our families. There are those whom we love. There are those people who we know living their life, rejecting, feeling exposed to the light. It's not you they reject. It's the light that they're rejecting. It's the light they feel exposed by. It's the light you reflect in your home and in your family and at the workplace and in the city and in your neighborhoods. But the darkness has not overcome the light. And the light can shine through the darkness and overtake it. Lastly, oh, and we've got to lay in the plane now. Lastly, the glory and grace of Jesus. Verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. See the humility there? Those who reflect the light, it's just... It's, we want, all, we want it all, all eyes to be upon Jesus. Verse 16, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. <laughs> no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. This eternally existing Word of God, supreme and mighty, took on our lowly flesh and dwelt among us. He entered into our lives and experienced the messiness of humanity. He tempted as we are yet without sin. Praise God. Experienced the weakness of the human body and frailty as we do. 
felt the sting of rejection and betrayal from those who do not know him and those even nearest him. There is nothing you can experience that your God has not allowed himself to experience when he came in the flesh. Remember that when you're weak and weary. Remember that when you begin to, to wonder how could this be? He, Hebrews 4 tells us because he came in the flesh, not only to be our sacrifice, but to be a high priest who can look upon you and say, I know exactly what you're going through. The words of Hebrews 4, he can sympathize with your weakness. Oh. A God who is high and holy, yet able to sympathize with you. Precious saints, that truth has been a life bomb to my soul this week. And may it be for you. My God is able, high and holy, marvelous, yet He is able to sympathize with me. When it says that He dwelt among us, it literally is this word that describes to pitch a tent, to, to dwell in a tent, to live with us. And it's connecting back to the Old Testament in Exodus when God chose to dwell among His people as they were in the wilderness. And He dwelled among them in the tabernacle, which is a tent. But even then, in His dwelling among them and giving them the law through Moses, though it was a gracious thing because, because of His holiness and, and the people's sinfulness, there was still a distance kept between them. Though the law revealed what was needed to be in right relationship with God, that's a gracious thing of God to reveal that, to enable sinful people to have instructions for how can we be in right relationship with the God of the universe? Well, here it is. It's written out for you. That was very gracious of God. But what happened is the law also reveals their inability to do it. Because of sin rooted in our hearts, we are lawbreakers. This high and holy one who dwells in unapproachable light with whom no eye has ever seen God revealed himself to his people in the Old Testament, but never in his fullness. Moses saw the back of God's glory. Remember, he's on the mountain and he says, I want to see you. I want to see you. And God tells him, you can't see me. You will die. But he says, but I will pass by. And you can look at my back. The back of my glory. Isaiah. Piercing, peeking, viewing, gazing into heaven. Saw the train of his robe filling the temple but couldn't know his embrace. He couldn't run up and know this God's embrace. The people of God witnessed the glory of God at the mountain, right? Thunder and lightning and clouds. 
the glory of God. But what did they do? Could they just run up and say, Lord, here I am. Embrace me. No, it was furious. They said, we can't get any closer. But now, in Jesus, the high and holy one who dwells in unapproachable light who no one has ever seen, the invisible and glorious God of the universe, he has revealed himself to us. And John says, in the fullness of his glory. In the fullness of His glory in Jesus, God chooses to draw near to us. He chooses to draw near to us. The one who dwells in unapproachable light has chosen to approach us. I feel like my little fourth four-year-old self sitting on the steps. Just what? He approaches us and in Jesus he has made himself approachable. Through the life, death, and resurrection of the word become flesh who dwelled among us and lived perfectly obediently in our place and died a sacrificial death in our place and tore the curtain of the temple in half so that we could know him. We are welcomed in Jesus and invited to the throne of grace to know God and be known by Him in Jesus. The glory of God, full of grace and truth, has come to us, John says. John is declaring the God of Exodus 34, the ancient God of Exodus 34, he has come to us. This is what he said in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That God, has made himself known in the person and work of Jesus. Precious saints, in this season, as we make our way through the gospel of John, may we behold and marvel at the glory and grace of Jesus, our Savior and King. May the Lord recapture the glory and greatness of Jesus in our hearts to be as those little children sitting on the steps and saying, I am amazed at you. I marvel at you. As we take glimpse after glimpse of Him, that we wouldn't have a view of Him that's far too small. And may the result be a church and a people. And if you're visiting us and you never come back, may you be his people in the city, full of gladness and joy and gratefulness and humility because of this great God who has done great things in making us his. Let's pray.